0: This is the Packer and Durham Podcast, Hour 2.
1: It's Packer and Durham. The free power hour is upon us as we continue to stream live on the ESPN app. Guys, on Sirius XM Channel 371, there's an assortment of other terrestrial radio stations in the ACC footprint that have jumped on board the Packer and Durham free parking for 22. And, of course, the number for the show is 844-SAY-ACCN.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, coming up, uh, in case you missed it with Jenny Levy from yesterday, Gino Damari, the Miami baseball coach, will be with us in the 9 o'clock hour. But first, we start the pre-power hour, Pack? With one of the traditional guests. His
1: 47th appearance.
2: 47? That's what I just said, 47th wow. appearance on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome ESPN's senior recruiting analyst, outstanding football analyst, and friend of the show, the Blue Ostrich, Tom Luganbill. Good morning, sir.
0: Good morning, lads. How are we doing? It is good to see you. It is good to have football season.
1: Well, I was going to say, like it like it was just mentioned, it's like Groundhog's Day. As soon as we cut down the nets, one shining moment on TBS or CBS or wherever it was airing, uh, you come out of the hole and it's now time for football. You yeah. come out of the
0: hole. Let, let, like me, let me tell Day. you something. Let me tell you something. Bill Self got on that ladder and I'm shooting out texts and emails to all the Brads, everybody. <laughs> it's over! It's football season. Let's go. Uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Was that the Govering Caddyshack shack or something? I'm not sure.
0: Uh, uh, no, that's
1: Frank the Tank
0: in uh, old school. Frank
2: oh, Frank the, the tank. tank. There we go. Frank
0: okay. the Tank.
2: All right.
1: <laughs> All right. So what, what did you find out? I mean, you and, and partner over here, are tag teaming in chapel. We had a blast. We had so, a blast. I'm assuming you did. Yeah. Uh, so what did you find? What did you see? Were you more interested in what you saw offensively with the quarterbacks or more intrigued with what North Carolina was going to do with Gene Chiswick on the defensive side based on just a spring game alone?
0: To be honest with you, neither. I was most impressed and most intrigued by their growth and their added depth and talent in the trenches on both sides of the ball. I mean, that's that's been the ultimate goal for Mac Brown um, since he arrived in, in Chapel Hill for 2.0. I mean, you, you, you can't gain ground against Clemson. You can't gain ground against Ohio State or Alabama unless you're going to start getting some of those horses up front. And on the hook, when you look at them, and Mac Brown, I thought, put it really, really well. He said, We look pretty, all right? And they do. They didn't three years ago. And so the question now is how do you get that pretty to play pretty? And I think that's kind of the next evolution for them um, up front. Obviously, a lot of new faces. You mentioned Gene Chizik. We've got a quarterback battle going on uh, with North Carolina. But I really thought that as a group, at least they've got the body types now that you look at and you say, okay, all right, th- this team's got a chance to really grow into something in a really, really important area.
1: But, Tom, I don't know playing pre- – I thought North Carolina played pretty last year. You know, they had all the hype, all that cool stuff, neat uniforms, everything, everything sold out of Keenan. Mm-hmm. But they played pretty last year. They got punked. I mean, they were 6-7. and seven. Yeah. There's got to be a little toughness to this group, though, doesn't it? I mean, at some point in time, you've yeah. got to knock that door down and you go, guess what, we got superior personnel – now we're going to coach him up, and now we're just going to beat you. Can it get to that point?
0: I think that it can get to that point. And to be honest with you, in my opinion, I think the best thing to happen to this football team is what happened to them last fall. And Matt Brown saw it coming. He told us, and Wes will back me on this, they got done with spring ball. They went into the the summer months. And next thing you know, he realized real quickly – Our guys aren't focused. Our guys are buying into the hype. They seem to be dealing with all of this pat on the back stuff and everybody telling them how good they are. And you know what? They went out and played that way. And so as a result, the focus in the offseason, whether it was the winter conditioning program, whether it was the 15 days of spring football, was to literally get physical have a lot of contact, do 11-on-11, do 9-on-7, taking guys to the ground. They took guys to the ground in the spring game. They wanted to send a message that if you're going to take that next step, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be based on what others outside of the program say about you. You have to physically go out and do it. And so I think that they identified exactly what you said there, Pac, and they attempted to go out and do it and felt pretty good about how their kids responded.
2: Tom, of the, of the positions that are going to come under scrutiny, though, it is evident that Mac Brown and Phil Longo have no problem taking this quarterback thing all the way up to the Florida A&M game, and I'm not convinced that because it's Florida A&M, no disrespect to FAMU, Carolina may go play both guys in that game to still make a clarity decision before they go to Boone to play Appalachian State in week two.
0: From what I saw with you on the field uh, on Saturday, I would not be surprised if this decision goes to the Friday night before that game versus the Rattlers. Um, And and to your point, maybe playing both guys, maybe playing all three. Connor Harrell was a pretty sharp-looking true freshman. Game game didn't look too big for him. It's interesting. All three of these guys that they've got in this competition, number one, none of them look like Sam Howell. All right. They're not built like Sam Howell. They don't play like Sam Howell. And then all three of them don't look like one another either. Drake made this big six foot five kid. And then you've got the stocky athletic Jacoby Criswell. And then you kind of got the, to be expected, freshman, undersized Connor Harrell. that has got a really, really live arm. But what all three of them can do is they can all create some real problems with their legs. And, and Phil Longo, the offensive coordinator, acknowledged that. And I love this about his approach because each quarterback is different and the offense isn't just the offense and you plug the quarterback into it. It's what does the quarterback do? How do we accentuate those strengths to make our offense the best that it can be? So I think you're going to see more pocket movement. You're going to see more uh, ability to use the quarterback as a designated runner and just change things around to fit these three guys' skill sets. But they were so similar in their production. And I think that going through the summer months, And Phil Longo mentioned that once they get about a week into fall camp, that's when he'll start putting the pressure on these kids to see who's going to take the reins and step to the forefront.
1: Tom, I I think the conference is still going to have a phenomenal year in the quarterback department. And I would say, I know it's April and it's still a bit early to go crazy with proclamations, but I I don't think the ACC is going to change uh, their quarterback talent with any other conference in the country. However, uh, there's a handful of schools that are having fascinating quarterback battles. You just mentioned North Carolina. You guys had a chance to see it. What's going on at Clemson? Uh, the Pitt situation, defending yeah. ACC champs, will be intriguing. Uh, I think Virginia Tech is about as wide open as it's going to get. Uh, just some thoughts on some of these other schools with quote-unquote quarterback battles. And let's start with Clemson. Uh, DJ is going to be the starter. Dabo's already said that. But Cade Klubnik's a guy that the rest of the league's going to get a chance to know.
0: Yeah. Remember, Kelly Bryant was still going to be the starter, too, coming out of spring. And I had that spring game. That was the day that Trevor Lawrence on, I think, his second play of the the deal, throws a 55-yard touchdown, and it was uh, lights out, Parties over. So, listen, I think with Clemson's spring game, you got to really take it with a grain of salt. That was a skeleton crew. Um, That was not a complete football team. That was not a team that had their best personnel on the field. I, you know, I think that with spring games, you know, you can take that with, you know, 10 cents. You get a cup of coffee with it and, and then just leave it at that. But D.J. Uyunglele, and I had their bowl game. He, he is going to have to become more efficient with his accuracy. It's really about his accuracy. And I think so much of Cade Klubnick is that's kind of what his game is. Is he going to be looking physically like D.J. Uyunglele? No. But what he does is he puts the ball where it needs to be, when it needs to be there, and at the end of the day, that will eventually trump physical attributes. So I I think that that thing is good. I think it's smart to say, okay, DJ's our starter. Yeah, because you want him going into the summer workouts confident. You want him going into the fall camp confident as the leader of the football team. But eventually, eventually, he's going to have to produce at a level that was significantly higher than he did a year ago despite the fact that they won 10 games.
2: All right, if we take Devin Leary's spring game, I mean, where does that fit in the pantheon of what you expect? Because nobody throws for that number in a
0: spring game. (laughs) Remember when Mac Brown told us that as the head coach in a spring game, you're either happy or you're mad or you're both at the same time because you're really excited about your passing game and now you're looking at your defensive coordinator saying, what in the heck are we doing in the secondary? Here's what I take from that. When you're lining up in cover three and cover two with no pressure packages, all right, and the defense has no chance of disrupting the quarterback, they have no chance of disguising anything, then if you're a veteran guy like Devin Leary, the ball is going to be in the air and he's pretty much going to have his choice of where to go with it, and the offense has significant advantages. I think what it reflects is that this is going to be an offense that is going to be in sync. They know what their components are, they've got proven commodities. The quarterback's a proven commodity, but it's the rules of a spring game that you pr- you, you've you got to acknowledge and, and take with a grain of salt when you see a performance like that.
2: Okay.
1: Tom, I want to go back to another quarterback battle. Uh, the defending ACC champions are in Pittsburgh, and there's a lot of pieces back with Pat Narduzzi's team that you go, you know what, they got a chance to get right back to this thing and go win another one. But you got the whole Slovis-Patty thing at quarterback. You got the transfer, the hot shot from USC. You got Pat, who did give you some playing time. You kind of know who he is, so you got some experience there. Uh, How does that play out? Is this kind of a no-brainer that Slovis eventually is too talented a guy and he becomes the guy? Or is Pat really in a pretty good spot here because he has two guys he knows he can win with? Well, I don't
0: think you can discount Keaton Slovis' experience because he's played a lot of football. But when you actually watch the football that he's played, it was very, very up and down. Um, and he's battled a lot of injuries throughout his tenure. In fact, you can make an argument. His best football that he played at SC was when he replaced JT Daniels after that injury and played the rest of his his freshman year. That was where he was at his best. And keep in mind, he's going into an entirely different offensive system. This is going to be a system that is is, is going to have a, a power feel to it. It's not going to be a run and shoot. It's not going to be an air raid. It's not going to be strictly shotgun. I think he's probably having to make more adjustments to the offensive style of play than Patty is. Um, so we'll see how long that takes him. Is it 15 days? Is it the rest of the summer? Is it the first three weeks of of August? So I think for for you know Pat Narduzzi, a lot of components back as you mentioned. You've got a quarterback in Slovis that's played enough football to give you a sample size to where you saw enough to where you took him. All right, you could have said no, we don't want this guy. They clearly think that he upgrades their quarterback room. So For me, that gives him a leg up in the quarterback race or they wouldn't have taken him.
2: Tom, here's the last thing from me. We've got Virginia, Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, Miami, kind of still to go here. Duke, obviously, with Mike Elko. When these spring sessions are over, how much value, how much improvement can be made with some of these programs, especially these first-year guys, Cristobal, Elko, Elliott, how much can be made from the end of spring until they reconvene for fall camp?
0: Um, You know, it's interesting you ask that question, because I think some of that depends on how many of the early enrollees out of their 2022 recruiting class are actually on campus. Like, for example, there were eight of them at North Carolina. Well, some of those guys are going to be expected to play a lot of football. That's a huge value during the course of 15 days. So whether it's Miami, um, you know, whether it's Wake, whoever it may be, how much significant help do you get for some of those young guys? Because, listen, a true freshman is a true freshman. But a true freshman that's enrolled in January, been through winter conditioning, been acclimated academically, socially, gone through spring ball, now he's enrolled again in May and June and July. When he arrives in August, he's not your normal true freshman. That guy's a different guy. So I think uh, there's a lot of ground that can be made up. When spring ball's done, and let's not forget, and i and I got to add this because this is going to happen nationwide, there's not a player in college football, regardless of conference, that wasn't tracking every single rep that they got during spring football. So it's going to be very interesting to see what the transfer portal looks like at the end of this month for about the first uh, first portion of May because kids are going to see the writing on the wall. Coaches are going to have to have very, very difficult conversations. So part of the answer to that question is who gets decimated? You know, who loses guys that they didn't expect to lose? All right, what guys do you maybe add that you didn't have for spring? That now you go into the summer months and you had maybe three or four scholarships that you held over. You go into the summer months and you go grab some guys out of the transfer portal. I, really the significant portion to the answer to that question, I think comes after we know where players stand when spring mm-hmm. football is completed, because I think that will have an impact on the summer months.
2: Yeah, it's a good point. It's Ches Ches Clemson, probably the best example of a year ago, after the spring, he yeah. transferred to Wisconsin, was off to a great start until unfortunately got derailed with an injury. So, uh, all right, great to see you. Well done by you, you on too. all of this. And welcome back to football, <laughs> Tom
0: Luganville. You bet, guys. Have a great rest of the week. Good being with you. All right,
2: Luke's always entertaining, always enlightening. But think about that, though. We we kind of didn't, because of the way everything was unraveling last year, we were kind of piecing football back together during the pandemic. That May portal might be as big. And portal's open, as we all know, right?
1: Hoops. Let me know in October what our roster looks like. Football, it's kind of the same July? Game. You okay yeah, in July? I think by the time we get to, to – when we get around to media days in July. We'll have a roster. We'll have a roster. You'll know what's kind of going on. Feel good about it. Well, you'll know – I don't know if I feel good about it, but you'll have a better handle on, yeah. on what it's going to look like.
2: There you go. It really is a moving target. Oh, move. boy. Tell the truth there. All right, when we come back – This week's edition of Fill in the Blank Pack. Excellent. Prepare to be some very pointed questions. Drew Brooks joins us. Oh, no, we're going to talk quarterbacks? Sure, we are. And uh, maybe players coming back? Oh, oh, and Charlotte North, of course. Back after this on Packer and Durham.
0: The Packer and Durham Podcast.
2: Uh yes, six oh five and fill in the blank. Yes, sir. We have that.
1: So I'll make sure you're listening. Yeah, I'm
2: here. Okay. Drew Brooks, ladies and gentlemen, is our uh game master. Mr. Brooks, good morning. Maybe not. Maybe not. We'll,
3: we'll try we again. We'll try again. How about that?
2: Oh there he is. There he is. On the so What's happening? How you doing?
3: Uh just a face covered in a mask for television. No big deal. Okay. I'm doing great. First question. Uh, if you were uh, standing on the 18th tee box at Augusta on Sunday with a five-shot lead, would you have won the Masters?
1: Easily. I mean, seriously, if, if, first of all. Is if, that a fill-in-the-blank question? If, uh, the answer is easily, uh, no. period. If I'm playing in Augusta. Seven iron, and seven if, iron. Hear me out. Okay. If I'm playing in Augusta, it's Sunday. Yeah. The last round of the Masters. If I'm that kind of player. Yeah. Uh, I could, yeah, I could do it left-handed or right-handed with a five-shot lead. Would you four-putt the 18th grade? Maybe for fun. Okay. If I had it totally in the back. Paddle ball it? Yeah. yeah. I might just blow it by 15 feet and just watch everybody lose their mind for a second. They, they did. Yeah. I thought he was going to miss one more. I did, too. Did you? And if he missed one more, it was
2: going to get close. Well, he had it. Yeah. And he earned it. Boy, did he ever. It's great. He's got a some kind of player. All right. Yes, I could have won 7-iron, seven 7-iron. Seven
1: flip wedge. Flip three wedge. Putt, three putts. Win by three. Yeah, there you go.
3: What about the other 150 yards? No, you know. <laughs> just, just kidding, just kidding. Yeah, that was rude. Rude. That was for rude. A, i tell you what. Right, for a guy,
1: wait a minute, for a guy that cannot touch the top of his head with one of his hands, you, yeah. you talk a lot of trash. Yeah, you do. other hand (laughs) oh you're making progress okay we're doing good you got
2: an injection yesterday wait till wait till some of your colleagues uh
3: inside baseball here a torn rotator cuff you guys can make fun of it all you want it was painful for three months but we're back
1: okay uh speaking of back and we're the uh, defending west hartford amateur champion by the way hey by the way tiger's back as in 25 shots back go ahead Rude. Rude.
3: (laughs) Rude. All right, let's get to fill in the blank, Uh, ACC football. The spring uh, game performance that impressed you the most on Saturday was blank.
1: For me, it's Jared Verse. I'm going to give you a name that a lot of folks have never heard of before. Transfer from Albany. Yeah. uh, Was the rookie of the year in the Colonial Athletic Association. This dude's blocking kicks. He had a couple sacks. He's 6'4", 250. I've heard Mike Norvell talk about this guy in practice, going, hey, he's disruptive. And I was kind of curious to see what he was going to do in the spring game. And he was all over the place. So yeah. I, I'm just going to give you a name. I'm just going to throw you a name in April. I'm kind of curious to see how he plays when we get the real bullets flying around in the fall. But I, I thought he looked good, man. He, yeah. he was making – for a guy with some buildup, I had no idea who he was. Mm-hmm. He showed me something.
2: Uh, I'm going to give you Jacoby Criswell of Carolina. Two years ago, Roddy Jones and I saw Jacoby Criswell in mop-up in a ball game against Western Carolina where, quite frankly, I wasn't sure Jacoby Criswell was ready for this level. And Saturday, he was 6-for-6 for for 105 and a touch. And I know the pressure was different defensively and things like that, but Pac, he showed me an array of throws in those six. Deep ball, little on-the-move deal there. Carolina's got a real quarterback competition. I mean, it's a real quarterback competition. I think there was this kind of idea that Drake May was going to be the guy, and he may very well end up being the guy. But this is a real deal with Criswell, and I'll throw Connor Harrell in there to a degree, but I think he's the guy in the future. But Criswell and May – because of what I saw Saturday, I think that thing goes to at least game one. And, again, with FAMU, well, I, I think it's got a chance to go a little further.
1: You got roast beef A&M out of the gate. That, that, they'll both play in game one. Right. But by game two when you go to Boone, you better have, you better have an answer to the question. Right. So, My opinion.
2: Yeah. Jacoby Criswell is my guy, though. Okay. In that.
3: All right, last year heading into the season, most of the quarterback battles, we knew who was going to win. This year, not so much. So the quarterback battle that you are most intrigued to see play out is blank.
2: I'm going to say Virginia Tech because I think it's a du jour. I mean, you got three guys. They're all relatively new. We showed the graphic last week that had a couple of other names on there as well. But you have three new arrivals in there, a brand new staff, a brand new offensive scheme potentially. I, I got to tell you, the Virginia Tech, and we got a lot, of, we got a lot of expectation and enthusiasm about Brent Pry. But Pack, you don't know how this
1: is going to play. So for me, it is the Hokies. Uh, for me, it's Clemson. It's your highest profile team with the highest profile position, okay. and it needs to be right because uh, their defense is national championship good. The question is, can offensively they be more than adequate? So, to me, the intriguing question is in Death Valley.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. And what did you learn Saturday? Anything in particular? Nothing. Nothing. I learned that the defense is going to be well, maybe, we knew that, maybe right? as
1: good as we're ever going to see out of this group. I, I Like I said yesterday, I think their linebacker core is already improved, even though that's a position that they lost from a year ago. They yeah. have got size and speed and ferocity at linebacker. I think this defense is going to be filthy. Good. T- but t- the question is – Offensively, you can't be inept. Right. And if their quarterback play gets answered in some shape or form, DJ takes it up a notch, Cade pushes him, takes over the job, I don't know how that's going to play out. But that's got to happen for Clemson to get back to their standard of, hey, college football playoff, let's go. Moffa,
2: Pace, Shipley. Great backs. Fine. I don't worry about that at all. Offensive line?
1: Well, they got to be. I mean, okay. that, it all works. I mean, the, the beautiful thing about football is yeah. it's not just a guy. It's a true team effort. All right. But that quarterback answer has to be figured out
3: by Dabo and All right. Next, Brooks. So we got Duke, North Carolina uh, for the third time in the Final Four, obviously. Mm. Uh, we didn't get Louisville, NC State in the ACC tournament. But the next question is, the matchup of the spring sports that you want to see the most in the ACC tournament is blank.
1: That's easy for me. I'll take – who are you going to take? I was going to take North Carolina, BC, women's lacrosse, 1-2. I'm going to take
2: Florida State-Virginia Tech softball. That's not bad either. Yeah. This is right, though. I mean, you can't go wrong either way, can you?
1: No. We're blessed from a spring sports standpoint. We've got so many great matchups of top five teams, and in this particular case, top two when it comes to North Carolina and B.C. But uh, Jimmy Ortega, great. Charlotte North, great. I mean, these are superstars, scoring machines, They are one versus two, and then we just saw what Virginia Tech did to Florida State over the weekend, taking two out of three and could have easily won all three. Yep. Uh, This showdown. But I will say this thing about the softball, Wes. We had this last year with Clemson and Florida State in a sense of, hey, they didn't see each other in the regular season, but, man, wait till we get to the ACC tournament. Guess what? Duke won the whole thing. We never saw the match. You never know. Mm -hmm. Duke's really good. Clemson's really good. But the Virginia Tech and Florida State feel – like they're Oklahoma City bound. They're that good. That they're outlier that
2: the other night of Virginia Tech scoring what twenty three runs? 23 Come on, Warren.
1: on Saturday. You know, some teams don't score twenty three in a month. We thought that'd be low scoring, right? Oh They'd yeah, pitchers and all this. <laughs> and then yeah.
2: I looked, I saw twenty three. I went, what? Yeah, they're oh. both really good. Unbelievable. All right, Brooks, what do you got?
3: We've reached declaring for the draft season. Some sign with an agent, some don't. But the ACC basketball player you hope returns for at least one more season is blank.
1: Uh, I'm going Armando Baycott with North Carolina. And I, I, I'm not a draft guy, right? I don't do recruiting. You're not? I no. I don't do draft. I don't do recruiting. <laughs> All right? But Armando Baycott had such an awesome year. And everything I see is like, well, he might be a second-round pick. I'm thinking, man, just come on back to Carolina and play one more year and I, just light it up like a Christmas tree.
2: I'm with you on this one. I think that – and I've started to look a little bit. I, I'm peeking at mock drafts as these uh, declarations come out. And I'm all for him finding out what you're going to be, where's your value, that kind of deal. I got no issue at all with that. But we talked about Dallas Walton, the Wake Forest staying in and signing with an agent. If I'm Armando Baycott, I do not do that. Because, hey, you know what the one benefit some of these guys have is what Greenberg said, what, last week, right? Name, image, and likeness. Part Of it, you can, yeah. some, you can make some coin in college. That's it, if you enjoy the life. So, Armando Bacot could come back. I think he'd be the preseason player of the year in the ACC. I think he'd be preseason All America.
1: I agree at the college agree. level.
2: Um, and it would be a win for the ACC and certainly a win for the Tar Heels. I think Armando Bacot's won. Uh, you look around the league though, there could be a couple of others that could be really interesting
1: too. Kevin Aluma. I haven't seen Kevin Alum on many lists. Listen, I want all these guys to chase their dream, have success, make millions of dollars, play basketball. Do you, I mean, you, you owe yourself the opportunity to find out where I stand in the pecking yeah. order. But, again, the question was, who would you like to see? I'd like to see them all come back. I'll give you one more. Go Go ahead. Ahead. Ready? Buddy
2: Beheim. Now, Buddy Beheim may make millions overseas for 20 years, okay? Mine might make millions at ACC Network. He might. Well, he could for sure. But I it, what's one more gonna hurt? I mean, you got a chance. Now we know Jimmy's not gonna play. Buddy has said he's not gonna play. But when the rubber meets the road at some point, it gets interesting, right? Because your value is your value. And again, Rinder, first round money's the only
1: money guaranteed. You're worth what someone is willing oh, to pay you. you. Yes, there you go. So you said are. that a thousand times. Professor Packer. That's the truth. All right,
2: Brooks, you got one more?
3: We got one more. I'm stealing a little bit from a guy who used to work at ESPN. But Dan Patrick used to do this thing uh, where he called the bathroom can wait, right? So, like, pack on Sunday when Tiger was playing, even though he's 25 strokes back, wouldn't go to the bathroom because he didn't want to miss anything that Tiger did. Yeah. So Another fan, is, seven
1: iron, short of the green, limp up, chip, miss putt. Ah
3: So, you down did watch on the I watched That's it great. so many
1: times Saturday and Sunday. It was like, I- I've seen this game. I've had this game, as a matter of fact.
3: All
4: right,
1: well, slap. Uh, I could slap it around after practicing for 10 months and shoot 78. I got that game. I can do that with sleep. Prove it. I've, my whole life, I've proven it. <laughs> slap it around. And all right, with all the good
3: ACC athletes uh, in the spring sports, who can the bathroom wait for?
1: Uh, uh, that's easy for me, too. I knew, I knew where you were going to go. That's so easy. That's Charlotte Norris, nah, the it. most spectacular player in this league in the spring.
2: Oh, no question. She is, in my opinion, the Mary Garber Award that goes to the outstanding female athlete in the ACC is over.
1: I mean, every match, it's just she's going to light it up. Right. She's going to do something you've never seen before. She's unbelievable. Yeah.
2: Uh, I will tell you that in the spring right now, the bathroom can wait for Kevin Parada of Georgia Tech. Uh, National Player of the Week – and in my mind, a guy who's not only hitting it long, he's playing great defensively and doing a lot of things other than just hitting the ball over the wall. Mm-hmm. Driving in runs, on base percentage, things of that nature. And I don't think he'll have to wait long to have his name called this spring. or no, this summer, rather. So I'd go Kevin That's Barato, Georgia Tech. That
1: is an interesting pick. From well,
2: me. you got you got Geloff. We've recognized that. All you right. got Tommy Tanks. All right. At NC
1: State, but this guy here is kind of having one of those years. We've got the dudes down in Miami, 113 in a row. And they're filling up stat sheets, too. They are. I mean, I'm telling the. I said the ACC baseball, the last ranking came out yesterday. The league's got four teams in the top 10. That is more than everybody else. Big 12's got three. Yeah. SEC has two. Pac 12's got one. The ACC's got four in the top 10. Mm-hmm. Yep. Louisville, Notre Dame, Virginia, Miami's number two. There you go. Same. Drew, is that
2: it? You done? Wow. Just
1: like Tiger. Yeah. Done. <laughs>
2: Tiger. I'm telling you, man, you are
1: cleaning no, that I'm deal out. I'm just saying, out. you know what? I, I went off yesterday on radio, Yeah. and I thought him being back on the golf course was awesome. I mean, his story on Thursday was spectacular. What Unbelievable. He did. I mean, incredible comeback. Yes. But that was Thursday. By Sunday, when you're 25 out, I don't need to see a dude trying to break 80 and walk. I got that game. Yeah. I'm just saying. There's other stuff going on. Mm. Noted. Gotcha. Just me. All right. when you want to watch a guy shoot 80, I'll tell you what, pay me a million bucks, I'll take you to whatever municipality you want today and shoot 80. Yeah. Limp around.
2: I, uh, I'm going to spend some time tonight, as you did over the weekend, with the Clemson head football coach. Oh, Dabo Sweeney. Who is in the news because Dabo has suggested that we need to start maybe – with the first brick in the rebuild of college football. We will cover some of his comments and offer a thought or two when we continue on a Tuesday next. Packer and Durham. So Dabo Sweeney has uh, had some really interesting comments here uh, to ESPN's Chris Lowe, and it's garnered a lot of reaction.
1: Shocking. Dabo says something and people are upset. Who yeah. would have ever thought?
2: He said college football, quote, needs a complete blow up. Um, here's his stance on using the transfer portal. And and has his stance on the transfer portal changed? And Dabo says, my transfer portal is in that locker room. Uh if I'm constantly going out every year and adding guys from the portal, I'm telling all those guys in the locker room I don't believe in them, then I don't think they can play. We're also not doing our job as coaches and recruiters. If we're bringing in a bunch of transfers, we're not going to build our roster on transfers. All right? Um, I I don't disagree with the loyalty concept that he's always had at Clemson with his players, and it's worked.
1: You think so? Absolutely. He's won 11 straight years of 10 or more wins. That's right. Two national titles. And he's won six Gods football playoff appearances, four nationals. I mean, come on. His system has proven he knows what he's doing. Right. However, let me
2: ask you this.
1: What's the however part? However, other it, than the guy in Tuscaloosa, who's had a better run than him? Nobody. Well, then what, where's the however?
2: However, I'm asking, is there a spot, one, two, per year? where it makes sense for Clemson or even an Alabama. I mean, Alabama's adding Jameer Gibbs this year from the transfer portal, right, from Georgia Tech.
1: Yeah, if it, it works for Nick Saban, it probably works for everybody else. But
2: is there a spot or two? I don't know that anybody needs an overhaul, certainly not the impact you see in basketball. But even programs like Clemson and Alabama, do you say, okay, hey, look, we got to get better at right guard, left outside linebacker. Easiest place for us to get better immediately is through the portal.
1: I have told you this before. Now, I'm going to say this as an alum, mm-hmm. not as somebody on the ACC Network. Okay. The thing that I am most impressed about Davo Sweeney right. has nothing to do with 11 consecutive 10-win seasons or two national championships or seven ACC titles or whatever the number is. Okay. Those are great, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do keep scoring this business. But as an alum, you know what he's done a brilliant job at? Okay. Nobody seems to talk about, but I do. Their graduation rate. Oh, yeah. When you start talking about what that program has done versus the rest of the country, the championships are great. But he has always been consistent. And that's why I laugh at some talking heads that are always taking shots at him about the educational part that he talks about. I'm like, well, then that tells me that people that make fun of him with that Mm -hmm. have not done any homework whatsoever, zero. Because the thing that impresses me the most about Dabo Sweeney and his program is how they get guys ready for life. Mm -hmm. They have done a brilliant job. The Paul journey, the graduation rate, what they do follow up. I mean, we were at the the event Friday night with the All-In Ball. They had 60 to 70 former players come back for a charitable event. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal. To me, as an alum, that impresses me more than any time you could sit there and hold a trophy and say, here's an ACC title, Here's a college football playoff appearance. Here's a national championship. All that's gravy. But the cake, you know, the cake is making sure your guys graduate. His devotion to the culture, the way they go about recruiting, they don't hand out 500 scholarship offers. When you get a scholarship offer at Clemson, it's like a gold ticket. Mm -hmm. They really do their due diligence. They're almost behind everybody when it comes to giving out a scholarship. And that tells me they do their due diligence with character, the quality of the culture, what it's all about. And so for Dabo to be reluctant to say, listen, could we need help at wide receiver, quarterback, right guard, tight end, whatever. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of people that would love to play football at Clemson, but the fact that he's put kind of a wall up to go, Hey, I'm going to be incredibly selective if at all in mm-hmm. adding to my locker room tells me everything about he believes that his culture is built to make them a better person whether they go to the NFL or not right and I say that now as an alum so you can go on with the however part
2: well I'm just saying is there a spot in his program like there would be in any
1: other elite college football team yes okay 100 percent right there's nobody in America that looks at their roster and says could we improve overnight there's no Alabama Georgia Ohio State Oklahoma you fill in the blank with your favorite every coach could sit there and say truth serum You could snap your fingers and could you improve your roster? The answer is yes, you can. Mm -hmm. Everybody can do that.
2: Yeah. I think the other thing, too, that was interesting was to hear his comments on name, image, and likeness and just kind of the structure of college football. And uh, CeeLo said, you know, especially when you see high school players reportedly signing with collectives and things like that. Dabo's quote on this is there are no rules, there's no guidance, no nothing. It's out of control. It's not sustainable. It's an absolute mess and a train wreck, and the kids are going to be the ones who suffer in the end. There are going to be a lot of kids that end up no degrees and make decisions based on the wrong things. Going to be a lot of decisions based on short-term stuff, and they're going to sacrifice the long-term value of education, relationships, and connectivity. It will... Settle out everything eventually, but no, it's not what it's supposed to be. The intention's very good. I love the fact these guys can make some money on their name, image, and likeness if that's what they want to do. But the way it's set up now is definitely not how it was intended. Just like most things, there are always unintended consequences. And unfortunately, the kids will be the ones to pay the price because you've got a lot of really young people that are having to grow up really, really fast. Now, you can say whatever you want about Dabo Sweeney and your interpretation. He just spoke the truth to you at the front of that quote, in my opinion. It's out of control. There's no rules. There's no guidance. And it's not sustainable. It's the exact same message that Bubba Cunningham just gave us, what, 10 days ago? Two to three years before we get governance on name, image, and likeness? That's two to three. Mark Emmert, even as much anti-Emmert as sometimes you might hear from us, Mark Emmert said we are at a tipping point. Well, sure, you're at a tipping point because you haven't been able to do anything. But yet everybody recognizes the volatility and the crisis in some ways the next two to three years could be for college athletics and in particular college football pack.
1: Of all the stuff that Dabo said to Chris Lowe, to me the the most interesting, and it's almost as if he read off my script, something I've been beating a drum on for six or seven years, he truly believes that college football is to the point where we could be looking at anywhere from forty to fifty teams playing college football with one commissioner and here are the rules. Right, go get them. Mm-hmm. And I've said for a long time, I think we're going down that path. That for uh, that was exactly the number I mentioned, forty mm-hmm. to fifty teams. I think will eventually make up what we consider "quote unquote" big boy football. Right, and those are the schools that have made the ultimate commitment from a facility standpoint, coaches, recruiting, staff, you name it. Um, I don't think there there's going to be that many. I mean, I think forty to fifty is probably about the right number. I, I think that's where I think we're on the fast track of doing that. But do.
2: he also, like a lot of people, and we're now getting prominent voices in a variety of sports. That's the piece about this. You just had Mike Shishovsky say it in not so many words. And he's been beating that drum for
1: a long time okay. in college basketball. You now have
2: Mike Shushevsky and you have Dabo Sweeney. In an indirect way, you had the president of the NCAA say it. We just had on our show two weeks ago, maybe one of the leading voices in athletic administration in Bubba Cunningham. Smart. And we could line up three or four more of his colleagues behind him. And yet, nothing has moved. Nothing has moved. Nobody's convened. Nobody's talked about governance. It's one of the things that as we move into the spring, I think it's – incumbent upon us and other shows of, of like to dig into
1: why, why are we not getting the governance? Why are we not getting that movement? It's an easy answer. It's called a lack of leadership. Right. You have nobody that really is in control to say, listen, I'm going to go get something done. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when the NCAA's answer to solve their problem is, we'll wait on Congress, that is all you need to know that that's a problem. There's got to be a organization, a group of people, real, true leadership that says, hey, listen, we're going to go get something done. We're not going to have another subcommittee meeting. Who's bringing donuts? Mm-hmm. Who's bringing the croissants? Nonsense. Go get it done. And the NCAA, has, like I've said 100 times, has failed so miserably in right. this department that it's almost comical. It's sad, to be honest with you. Yeah,
2: I think where we've gotten to is, and I'll be interested in our next chance to sit down with Commissioner Phillips. I don't know where that's going to be, but somewhere – here, Hopefully, in the next 60 days, we can
1: hopefully next month.
2: Yeah, hopefully, next month. Uh, we get a chance to visit with the commissioner at length, and the specific topic has to be the next line of leadership. What's that going to look like in his mind?
1: And keep in mind, too, with the power five, we've also seen a transition in leadership at the power five. We've got a new commissioner to Pac 12, Commissioner Phillips here in the ACC. Yep, uh, the Big Ten's going through it, and now the Big 12 is going through it with Bob Bowlesby announcing his resignation. Mm-hmm. And what direction is that conference going? A guy like Oliver Luck, to me, would be a natural fit for a college football czar or a commissioner for the Big 12, given his ties to West Virginia, worked with the NCAA, understands pro sports, you know who his son was. Uh, I think he's a brilliant smart guy that could be part of the answers for college football's ills. Yeah. All right, sit tight. More
2: to come on Packer and Durham when we come back, in case you missed the visit yesterday. Pack and Drew talked to Jenny Levy, the great lacrosse coach at North Carolina. You will see that when
0: we continue next. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast.
2: Jenny Levy joined Pack and Drew yesterday on the show. Uh, I mean, good heavens, what a, uh, what a tear this program is on. And uh, they started with how they continue to have great and consistent teams in Chapel Hill.
4: Recruiting's great. I've got a great university, great support here at Carolina, great staff. Um, Try to have some fun. Uh, Obviously, the basketball team provided a lot of entertainment for the past month, um, which we thoroughly enjoyed. And um, besides that, yeah, we're trying to work hard and get better every day. A little coach talk, but that's the truth.
0: Well, coach 39 straight regular season wins. I know a lot of these games are big in the ACC, but how do you get your team up for every single game when you haven't lost a regular season one in three years?
4: Well, I didn't know that. First of all, <laughs> I, I, um, I, I don't know. We don't really talk about that. Cause I don't even, I wasn't even aware that that was a, a thing. Um, but you know, I just think we try to enjoy where our feet are and, get better every day and the recruiting process is so important for us to make sure that we're getting the right type of players that bring energy have a passion for the game and love being part of a team
1: does this team remind you of any of the other ones that you've had that were just great teams
4: I, you know i've had a lot of great teams some that have won championships and some that haven't um but I I like my my senior leadership a lot this year. They are they're worker chickens. Um, they're in the trenches. They they do a lot of you know they they take care of their teammates. They they work with relationships off the field. Um, they spend time helping players on the field. So I I like I like the chemistry piece of this group. Starting with my my leadership, uh, the tr- the transfers that we have in fell right in line. They're, they're really spectacular individually as human beings. And then obviously great lacrosse players. So, um, I don't know, that's hard to, it's hard to answer that question. Each team has been so different. Um, and even years like last year, we loved the team last year and we didn't end up with a national championship, but it was a great team. Um, and that's our goal every year is really, obviously we want to win last year's loss stung a lot. Um, And credit BC for their brilliant performance over the championship weekend. But um, it doesn't take away from all the little memories that you have as a group. And I think like we had last weekend, uh, we played Notre Dame and um, we had an alumni weekend. We had over 80 alums come back just to come back to Chapel Hill. It happened Then the final fourteen, The final four basketball game was that night. Um, It was an epic weekend in Chapel Hill. And I think, you know, just just having so many alums that want to come back and be part of the program and then you get this basketball game on top of it. Remember, it reminds them of like, oh, my God, this is why I came to Carolina. This is sick. Um, Can can I sign up again for four years? I said, you still have to run. Remember that? And they're like, oh, yeah, maybe not. (laughs)
0: Right. They have to be worker chickens again. I, I can't say I've ever heard worker chickens before. What does that mean?
4: Uh, well, I read uh, as, um, Margaret Heffernan. I was listening to a podcast. I followed a couple of her things over the past probably ten years, um, and she talks about social capital. And there was a study that was done that she found in England: um, worker chickens versus super chickens. And and they stu- and it was a six year study, and they had they had this group of worker chickens that they just kept as worker chickens, and they studied them for six years and. Their, um, their productivity was just in, in eggs laid. And then what they did with another group of chickens, they took the best chickens who basically are the ones that are laying the most eggs, they took them and they started to pull them out and make them into these super chickens. Well, at the end of a six-year study, there was only a three of the super chickens left because they all pecked each other to death and they created an environment where they couldn't be productive anymore. So we like to consider ourselves worker chickens where we can just get the job done, roll up your sleeves. Um, you know, obviously, we have a lot of talent, but we, we want a mentality of worker chickens, not super chickens.
1: Uh, have you passed this information on to Bojangles, a proud sponsor here of ACC Network? They, they might need to know about all this, Jenna.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, but I will credit Margaret Heffernan, who I've never met. She's from England um, on some of this social, social, we call it social capital. She calls it social capital. Um, and developing relationships within an organization. So um, that's what I got. We talked about it a lot this year.
0: Let me get a three-piece worker chicken on my way out of here. Not, not a super
1: chicken, a worker chicken. <laughs> That's great. Let me know how
4: that goes. <laughs> the, the,
1: the things you learn on this show, I swear, you know, you, you think you got it covered and Jenny comes on and goes, 39 around, got nothing, got nothing for you that, but let me tell you about worker chickens and super chickens. I'll break this whole thing down for you. You just never know. Uh, all right. It's, a big, a big picture. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, big picture with the league. Where are we? If you had to do, uh, if you could able to critique the conference, taking a step back, where, where is this conference right now?
4: Oh my God. The ACC is outrageous right now. I mean, obviously we, we go up to Boston in mid March and there's 6,000 people in the stands for a regular season game up there um, to see, you know, BC play Carolina or Carolina play BC, however you want to put it. Um, It was, it was a beautiful day up there and it was electric and, the game was was really really packed with talent on both sides of the ball, and it was a great game. Um, and then we go up to play Syracuse. Um, you know, last weekend in the dome, they've got three thousand people up there. Um, it was loud. It was packed. You know, Syracuse unfortunately, has, you know, had a lot of injuries this season to some of their key players, but um, they're still a hell of a team and really competitive and and going to compete. Um, You know, I think we haven't played Virginia or Duke yet, uh, but, you know, both of those teams are very capable of, of, um, you know, battling for top spots. Notre Dame hasn't had a great season. They lost, I think, three one-goal games early on, um, but they're packed with talent, too. And then you see Pitt win their first ACC uh, ACC game last weekend against Louisville. You know, I, I just think we've got some really talented coaches Um, and, you know, kids coming out of high school want to play in the ACC because it's the best.
1: Tremendous coach. Great program. Enough said. Number one in the country. Worker chickens and super chickens. Ah, I never knew. It's kind of like rowing and crew. You learn something new every day on this show.
2: I think we need to set up some parameters on that here before we get too far down the road. Here's where Carolina's women's lacrosse is. (laughs) One for the 40th time in their last 41, 39 consecutive regular season wins, 17 straight on the road, double figures for the 49th time in the last 50 games. Is that any good?
1: Pretty good. Pretty consistent. Jeez.
2: Pretty great. And we talk about how great Charlotte North is, and we're certainly not selling Jamie Ortega's accomplishments
1: short either. I mean, it's one and one a as far as scores go. Yeah, spectacular. Brilliant. And again, I sent. That's why one of our questions in a fill in the blank. That was to me. It's the spring showdown in the ACC tournament. I'd like to see that'd be yep. North Carolina and BC. All right, we go to the top
2: of the hour, Power Hour coming up. Gino Damari, bottom of the hour, nine thirty, Miami. Speaking of on a tear,
1: thirteen straight.
2: Yeah, we'll talk to the head coach of the Hurricanes and get uh, get our filled there. We'll also outline what was a busy night for the ACC in the WNBA draft and Nolan Smith's arrival, chronicled in Louisville. And also, you get to pick. Two coaches from your school to hop on a grill based on the efforts of Frank Beamer and Brent Pry. Who you got cooking next on Packer and Durham?
0: Thank you for listening to the Packer and Durham Podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on the ACC Network, SiriusXM Channel 371, and streaming on the ESPN app.